0: I'm Bridget Metcalf. Join me each week as I chat with leaders from around the world, shining a light of global issues that affect us all so the truth may be known. Don't miss out on the conversation. Go to your favorite podcast streaming service now to subscribe to Truth Be Known. For upcoming podcasts, go to truthbeknown.org and enjoy the conversation. Hello friends, this is Bridget, and thank you for joining us today on Truth Be Known. We have with us today Jamin Metcalf, a historian, a teacher at Great Hearts College Preparatory High School, and one of the teaching pastors at Banner Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Today's podcast is the final episode of our Heart of Discipleship series. Enjoy the conversation as we dive into this week's episode of Truth Be Known. Well, so great to have you on the Truth Be Known podcast today, Jamin. I'm glad that you could be here and address our audience once again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. For me, I've been very blessed to have had spiritual mentors who discipled me throughout much of my life. Consider that one of the big blessings of both my youth and now my adult life, that I've never really gone through a season where I didn't have someone who is more mature in their faith and more mature in general guiding me and listening to me and offering spiritual advice, which is a really wonderful thing. It's a really great blessing. You
0: know, it's interesting as I talk to some young adults, oftentimes I hear the comments, well, there's nobody that would disciple me. There's nobody out there that can disciple me. You know, and you're just sharing how throughout your life, almost through your teenage years, your junior high years, and even your adult life, that you've had that. How would you advise somebody to receive that kind of thing? With people out there that say there's nobody that wants to do it. There's nobody out there. What would you say to them?
1: Well, the majority of of the different people who have discipled me, I ended up both meeting them and entering into discipleship relationships with them, first and foremost, just being in a church community, um, not just participating, but getting heavily involved, serving, actively trying to make whatever ministry I was involved in better. And it it was in those places where I ended up meeting mentors. And so I think that that would be my first piece of advice is if you're not already trying to actively involve yourself in a spirit-filled community, that's step one. You need to do that. Get plugged in with a group community first. That's the place where you're going to develop the most relationships, both mentors, you know, people you can look up to, and also mentees, people that you can disciple.
0: That's a really good point. So what I hear you saying in this is that You really got to position yourself. It's not just about saying, hey, I wish I had somebody to speak into my life and, you know, just out of thin air, that's going to appear. But you're basically saying you need to position yourself in a place of community and a place where you can develop relationships and if you're not doing that then you're really never positioning yourself to really receive a mentor in your life or to have a mentee in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that this is both a natural human desire as well as a unique part of maybe this generation and the last generation that we like to say things a lot like, you know, I don't I don't really want to have shallow relationships. You know, I don't want to just be in a crowd. I, I want to have some deep, deep relationship. I want to be mentored. I want to have a, you know, be discipled and get to the deep stuff. I don't want to trouble myself with just going to a small group or being at, <laughs> hanging out at lunch after church or something like that. But the the irony is that those little moments, the going to lunch after church, the getting involved in a little small group, the t- just talking with people before church has started, trying to build community that way, asking people how their week is going. It's in those trivial moments that you actually develop the deeper relationships. That's where it all begins. You have to go through that process first before you get to the deeper stuff. And I think some people forget that.
0: That's a really good point. And honestly, uh, I know as I have been a mentor and I've also been a mentee, when I'm listening to what you're saying, uh, it did take that positioning and being in those kind of places to be able to develop that. You're right, because deep relationships doesn't just start. You have to begin somewhere. And you really got to want it. I often say in just more of a crude way that you kind of have to be like a dog on a bone. You know, a dog, when he goes after a bone, he doesn't just eat the meat off the bone, but he starts chewing it down to the marrow. And you cannot take a bone away from a dog once he's really started to chew on it. And um, I think it's the same with discipleship. I think we've got to really want it and not just say we want it, You have to take action and place yourself in a place where you're willing to go a little deeper and serve a little more. And if we really want deep relationships, you can't just do it from a distance.
1: Yeah. Getting into those communities, those spirit-filled communities, those church communities is just step one. You're right that You have to actively seek discipleship even after that, like you said, like a dog on a bone. I think it's important. One of the things I've realized too is oftentimes there have been guys that I've asked to go to coffee with me and I want them to disciple me. We end up going to coffee And we have an okay time, but very little discipleship ends up happening. I remember leaving, just feeling like I hung out with someone, but no discipleship took place. And uh, my immediate reaction is, oh, maybe I'm just being discipled by the wrong person. This person doesn't know how to disciple. Then I realized that uh, really the main problem is not them and that they weren't going to be good at discipling, but that one, I didn't know them very well. And I had to go through that stage of just hanging out and getting to know them. And, and earning that trust. And two, I wasn't actually asking any deep questions, deep discipleship questions. So what I've started doing, and, and I still do this, um, I meet now, I, I have two different spiritual leaders that I meet with on a regular basis who disciple me. And every time I meet with them, I bring a notebook with me. And I write down two or three big questions that I've been wrestling with. And I ask them my questions and I just bounce it off of them. And I keep that notebook just next to me in case they say something really special that I can write down. And there's something about that little action of just bringing a notebook to coffee with somebody (laughs) that elevates the conversation to something a little more serious. So that's just a little thing I've done. and And it's really worked wonders for me as a mentee, not as a mentor, but as a mentee.
0: So I think with the position that you're in and everything, you're not only being a mentee, but you're also being a mentor at this point of your life. And I noticed that I often say, that it's important to have like a Paul, a Silas, and a Timothy in your life to really have that balance of discipleship. So the Paul that's pouring into you, the Silas that's kind of like that friend that's in the jail with you, that the same level, and then that you're cheering each other on, and then the Timothy that you're pouring into. So, you know, you've got those three levels and they're they need that balance constantly in your life. And we never get to a place where we have arrived where we stop having the need for a mentor in our life or need the outpouring of being that mentor to somebody else. But let me ask you, as far as your method of discipleship, so now that going from being the mentee to the mentor, how do you help disciple people?
1: Funny enough, you know, I just mentioned that one of my strategies as a mentee to make sure that the mentorship really is happening is that I come with questions ready. And I think deeply about those questions. Funny enough, as a mentor, uh, I do the same thing. I think most of my mentorship with people, when you get down to just the practicality of it, what actually happens in a mentorship meeting, just over coffee or Sometimes, you know, I'm a teacher, and so talking with a student after class, you know, and that's a different kind of mentorship, but it still is some. The main thing that I do is I'm always ready to ask questions and follow-up questions. So as a student begins to unpack or as a mentee begins to unpack some of the things they're wrestling through, things that they've had to face the last few weeks, with their faith or their, their emotions or something. I always want to just ask more questions to get them to prod deeper into what it is that they're really thinking and feeling. I found that if I start with asking questions before I offer any sort of advice, that people tend to be their own best advice givers. <laughs> Sometimes people just need a soundboard. They just need to verbally process what it is that they're going through and they need someone to ask the questions that get them to go deeper into certain areas that they hadn't thought about yet. And then after a process of questioning, getting them to think about different things related to their struggles, then I can offer, you know, here's some scripture that I've reflected on has helped me in the past and I think it would really help you. Here's some actions I've taken when I've faced this same battle. And then of course, ending everything with prayer. That's just about how every mentorship meeting I have goes. Asking a ton of questions, offering a little bit of scripture. Scripture, some practical advice, and then prayer.
0: Has that been a method that maybe has been part of your desire that you want when you're being mentored that you've kind of reflected over?
1: I do, and, and I've observed in the moments when I've been mentored that it's actually oftentimes been the question I've been asked by a mentor, not the advice they gave me that's been the most impactful. So I remember there was a time where I was really, I was struggling with feeling worship. So it, worship was something like I wasn't emotionally able to engage with. And I met with a mentor and I, I kind of just was talking to him about that. Yeah, you know, it's just tough for me. I, uh, I want to worship. I, I want to do this, but it's difficult. I'm not feeling it. I I don't feel the desire for God like I know I should. And this mentor just kept asking me questions about that and said, well, why? Why, why? why do you feel that way? And it forced me to go a little bit deeper into kind of the causes and then asked me, have you ever tried forgetting about the feelings and just commanding your heart like David commanded his heart in the Psalms? Command your heart, praise the Lord. Command your soul, bless the Lord. Just command it and see what happens. Have you thought about that? And I was like, no, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. But uh, yeah, what a great idea. That's really good. Um, so, I mean, that's just a small example, but there are many, many that I've encountered.
0: I think that's really amazing advice, um, what you're sharing. And I I think that with a lot of millennials today, oftentimes in the world that we live in, because it's kind of a virtual reality, right? And like even right now, we're doing a podcast. I'm in Bangkok. You're in the United States. You're in Arizona. And we can do this technology from a distance. But what is the difference maker with discipleship when it talks about proximity, it's what's the difference and what does that change with people? And I just really curious on your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, if, if I if I could venture to be more academic for a moment, uh, as opposed to just personal experience. It's interesting to me that my two favorite people in history, my two biggest heroes, are, of course, Jesus and Socrates, the ancient Greek philosopher. Of course, Jesus, son of God, not just man, but God in the flesh, very different from anything else. But in the In the way that they both engaged with students, they were very, very similar. And I think it's striking. Both of them, when they had their students, they spent a lot of time just eating with them. I mean, we hear again and again in the Gospels, Jesus going from dinner party to dinner party, just eating with his disciples. When he comes back from the dead and he sees them out on the water fishing, He calls out to them, and they come to shore, and he's cooking some fish on the shoreline. I think that there's something very beautiful in that. You see that with Socrates, too. All his greatest teaching moments in these beautiful things that he called dialogues took place at little dinner parties in Athens. And there's something beautiful about that, sitting down with someone in proximity to them, eating with them, partaking in food and drink, enjoying their presence for a long period of time. And those are some of the most wonderful special moments that we have. I don't think it's an accident even that in the very act of worship that we do in Christian churches, of course we sing and we listen to a teaching by a pastor and we enter into the word, but also a big part of our worship is communion where we come to the table and we share bread and wine That is the blood and body of Christ. And we do that together. There's something about that proximity, that physicality of eating together that is really important. Why is it so important? Man, I mean, you could write a book on it, I think. Maybe someday I will.
0: (laughs) I agree with you. When I'm doing discipleship with young emerging leaders, one of the things is that when you're in close proximity, not only breaking bread together Laughing, enjoying that moment being in community. But also, you know, there's not just the verbal part of discipleship, but even just the facial and the eye contact and some of the emotions that are not being said. Or verbalized, but you can see it, you can feel it in the inflections of their voice that you miss when you're not in proximity with somebody. Yeah, and and so so somebody could be saying something, but it's not really what is on their heart, or they might be silent, and you see something past what they're not saying, and only that can only be done if you're in proximity with somebody and really be able to have that deep relationship
1: that discipleship is not just the sharpening of the mind. If it were just the sharpening of the mind, if all discipleship was, was teaching us how to think better about the world, of course, that is part of discipleship. Logic and thinking right about scripture and thinking right about God is important. It's, It's a huge part of discipleship. But if that were the only way, then meeting in person probably would be pointless because if I'm just sharpening my mind, I can just do that in a book with some, you know, I I can read someone's book. We could just text back and forth. We could email back and forth and disciple that way. But discipleship is not just about training your mind, but it's about helping to shape another person's heart, their emotions, their actions in life. It's about helping to cultivate the entire person. And in order to cultivate the entire person, the entire person has to be present. It's so important. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, I, I took a little jab there, right? Like, a, you know, discipleship could just be books if it was all just the mind. That might be a little unfair because I, I myself, I, I mean, I never hung out with Socrates, but he's a hero of- mine 2,000 years, 2,500 years later, because I've read his dialogues and he's spoken to me in a deep way. I feel the same way about people like Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, C.S. Lewis, uh, Blaise Pascal, Boethius. These are heroes of the faith who have discipled me in a sense through their words that have been left behind. But there is something about being with a flesh and blood person that is truly unique and touches at parts of ourselves that words can't do justice to. Mm -hmm.
0: I I do agree with you, and I think you can see them in action. You can see if their word is their bond, if, you know, they're leading by example too. I mean, there's a difference when you're in close proximity. I also want to talk to you about intentionality. I was having this dialogue with somebody the other day about good intentions. Sometimes with discipleship, um, you could have good intentions to be discipled. I really want to be discipled. I really want a mentor. I really want somebody to speak into my life. But intentionality without action is just mere words. It's just an intention. And so um, how do we go from intentionality into action?
1: Yeah. It's no accident that discipline shares a root word with disciple. They they come from the same word. (laughs) A disciple is one who's a follower, one who is Submitting themselves under the tutorship of another person, being trained by them. Discipline is when you do the same thing to your body and your desires. You are saying, I know, I know I have this desire. I mean, you can do something really silly, right? Um, I know that I really love, you know, to eat a ton of cookies at night. But I have to disciple myself, discipline myself, and say that desire is not going to be something I follow. It takes a lot of intentionality in that way. You have to do the same thing when it comes to discipleship itself. It requires that as a mentee and a mentor, discipleship is something that just takes time. It takes time. And if you're not willing to take the time to do it, to carve out that time within your weeks to talk with another person and meet with them, and to meet with them with good thoughts and questions ready to go, then the mentorship, the discipleship is never going to really take place, not in a meaningful way.
0: You know, I'm just curious on your concept of discipleship is where, where is it where you take somebody, maybe really through the scriptures and through the word, when, when you're doing discipleship, do you have a bible plan that you take them through or you know certain scriptures certain, certain chapters in the bible books in the bible that you feel like are paramount that they need to learn or is it more just formation with them you know how how do you do that
1: I don't have a set plan of scripture that I like to take everyone through but depending on what it is that people that I've met with are struggling with I offer to them ideas about what they probably should be meditating on in scripture. So So basically you're
0: customizing it.
1: Yeah, I have someone right now I've met with for a while who has struggled with a lot of loss. They've had three family members die in the last year and a half, it's been very difficult for them to walk through that suffering and to find meaning in that suffering. It seems to them so random. How could a good God allow this much suffering to happen in my family, right? Mm In that particular situation, I don't want to take them through just a typical reading plan in the Bible, but I want to encourage them to go to those parts of the Bible that address that issue very specifically. So the book of Job, an incredible piece of scripture uh, just about where is God in the midst of terrible suffering, directing them to the Psalms. The Psalms are just rich with those, that deep wrestling with God in that place of, of pain and of loss, and, and how do we make sense of this? So those are some of the things that I do is, is think about in a discipleship meeting, what's, what's the, what is the rock in the path that's, that's keeping this person from getting to the place they need to be with Jesus? And what's the scripture and the prayer and the practices that can help remove that rock out of the way, get mm. them on the right path?
0: I like that. I've never really thought of it that way, but you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think really what it is, is each person that you disciple uh, is different. And they're going through different scenarios and different feelings and different actions in their life at that time. And uh, so it can't just be cookie cutter. It's really got to be very thought out. And and that's a difference, too. When you're a mentor and you care about the person that you're discipling, that you can really know them well enough to say, this is, I think this is where they're at or they've shared with you because they trust you. And yeah, so let me- I,
1: I think too, it, it's difficult for it. The thing that's tricky for me is my own personality is when I face something difficult, I want to think through it, sometimes to a fault. I, I have to rationalize it. I have to think through it all the way. So for me, anytime I face something, I wanna know what's the book I need to go to, both books of scripture and of you know great Christian thinkers. I'm like, what's the book? I want to read the book. I want to understand. A lot of people aren't that way. If you tell them, here's a great book that can walk you through this, they won't read it. And it's not because they don't like you as a mentor or because, you know, they're, they're <laughs> unwilling to actually go through the process of discipleship, but uh, some people just aren't big readers. And so I think tailoring different practices to what people, the way that they live and the way that they, their minds and hearts work is important.
0: Yeah, it's very true. I want to ask you this question. This might be a tough one for you, but you know, what is it far as let's go back to you being the mentee? What is it that you look for a person to be a mentor to you? You know, what are the most important elements that you would be willing to trust them and open up your life to them?
1: Jesus tells us that you will know the character of a person by the fruits of their life. And so in different stages and seasons of my life, when I've looked for mentors, I've looked for people who show good fruit, who don't just walk the walk, or I'm sorry, don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. People who actively living out the gospel in a way that is reflecting Jesus so clearly. So that, that's a big one. I think another big thing for me that, that's important is just a mentee. And, and this is so important to remember and, and to be reminded of again and again and again and again, is that the process of discipleship is a process of submission. Submitting to authority is not a popular idea today. In our culture, in the West, in particular, but it's true all over the world. People want to assert their individualism. You know, they want to show off their own personality. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. But discipleship is you willingly stepping underneath the covering of someone who's in authority and saying, I will submit my actions and my heart to the guidance of this person. That is a very vulnerable thing to do. It's really difficult to do but no good discipleship can happen without submission. So when I look for people who show the fruits of the gospel in their life, and then I meet with them, I'm always having to remind myself that this is not about my ideas or my way of seeing things that has to come through, but I'm allowing myself to be shaped by this person who might have a deeper perspective than me.
0: Mm, that's really good. Now, if I were to flip that around, and you're the mentor. Does Is that a sobering thought to you? That this person, this mentee is trusting you and they're looking yeah. at your fruit. I mean, what does that do to you?
1: Yeah, it, it's a very sobering thought. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors of all time, he actually preached a sermon once called The Weight of Glory. And he said that the, the weight of glory that's upon every Christian is the realization that every interaction that you have with another person is, in some small way, either helping them towards heaven or pulling them towards hell. It's up to you which way that's going to go. And that's a very sobering thought. Now, of course, you know, we are not the ones who save people. God is the one who saves people. The Holy Spirit is who saves people. So ultimately, it's not completely in our hands. But every word that you speak to another person, every action that you take, you have to remember that you've never ever met a person who is a mere mortal. Every person you meet, from the person who makes your coffee, to the garbage man, to the people you walk by on the street, they are immortal souls and one day one day those immortal souls will be either glorified in heaven or they will be they will be ghostly in hell. That, that's a sobering reality and so in our discipleship we have to take that with a lot of seriousness and I think that you you can't avoid that seriousness that if you're going to meet with someone and you're going to offer advice and point them to things in the scriptures, you better be ready to know that the weight of glory is upon your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And of course, the weight of glory is so heavy. uh, What I just said sounds really scary and horrifying that 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 kind of responsibility is on us. That kind of responsibility would break the back, so to speak, of any normal person because we're so imperfect. Mm -hmm. But luckily, we're not the only ones holding up that weight of glory. The Holy Spirit is doing it with us too. And so yeah. it's important as a mentor to recognize, too, that you are fallible, that you're not going to get everything right. You're not always going to give the best advice. You're not the wisest person in the world. But if you submit every moment of discipleship to the Lord and you do it in prayer and you recognize the work of the Spirit in that moment, then I think that you can make yourself a more open conduit to the saving work of the gospel and to the Holy Spirit in our lives.
0: I think that is really profound when you're talking about the weight of it because you know the bible and of course i say it in more simple terms but the scriptures talk about that it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and for you to be tossed into the sea than for you to lead somebody away you know basically one of those innocent ones away from the things of god and i i think that um that is a very important humbling weight to remember that we are influencers when you're a mentor, when you're a coach, when you're a discipler, you're influencing uh, lives, you're your sphere of influence to people. And if you if you guide them away from things that are good for them and you guide them to destruction, you're not just responsible for yourself, but you're responsible for them too. And I liked what you said earlier, we're not the savior either. So we're not, we're not wanting people to worship us or to be put us on a pedestal when you're doing this kind of mentorship. But what you're wanting them is you want to direct them to God. You want to direct them to the scriptures. You want to direct them to the one that uh, is perfect, not, and you're not perfect. So I like how you shared that with the weight and the weight of the glory and just knowing that uh, it's a high calling to be able to do that when you, when you, and I think that's also why it's very important that you're in both roles, that you're the mentor and the mentee, because it keeps you humble and in balance knowing right. that I, responsibility.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I, the picture that I like to use is kind of a silly image, but I, I think it, it is the best image I could use to come up with it is that I want to be a mirror. There's two senses in which I want to be a mirror as a mentor. The first sense is the most important, and it's the one that Jesus shows us, right? Jesus is the new Adam, the new image of God, the perfect image of God. When Jesus says, come and be like me, he invites us to be his image bearers, to be like him, to reflect his nature to everyone around us. So as a mentor, the the highest aim I could possibly have is to be a mirror that is as clean and as clear as possible so that I can reflect the glory and the majesty of God. That glory and that majesty and that power and that wisdom is not mine. It's simply reflecting off of me like a mirror. But I want to be a mirror in a second sense too. And this is the the Socrates sense. This is the, the very practical sense. One of the brilliant things about Socrates, one of the reasons he's a big hero of mine, is that in all his philosophical dialogues, they're all about morality and how to live well. And they're brilliant. But everything he does in those dialogues is he's not preaching at people and shaking a finger at them, telling them what they should and shouldn't do. Instead, he asks them question after question and he reflects their own nature back to them. And that's a really sobering thing. Socrates said the most important thing that he wanted to teach people how to do is how to know themselves. What are you as a human being? Who are you? And so I think as a mentor, those are the two primary things you want to do is be a mirror that can reflect who God is and a mirror who can reflect back to people who they are.
0: I love that. It, it, you know, kind of reminds me of Proverbs 27, 19, where it says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And it, it's, it is, our lives are, should be like a mirror, where I, I love that analogy. What you're saying is that we should reflect God and then it also, when other people look, they can see the reflection of themselves. And, you know, when you can see the true reflection of yourself, you, you really can see the heart behind the reflection. So that's really good. That's some good advice. Well, as we're closing out today's podcast, I just want to ask you, is there any last minute nuggets that you could share or maybe encourage some of my audience out there that maybe don't have a mentor and never have, never saw the value of it? Is there something you could share with them? Just a last point of encouragement
1: i think that one point maybe to remember i mean the last thing that i could offer is that jesus says in the gospels that those who truly seek will find those who knock the door will be open to them he says that god is like a father and when his children ask for bread he doesn't offer them a scorpion like even a human father knows that that's the wrong thing to do and how much better is god i think that if people are truly searching for a mentor searching for discipleship, if they truly seek it, they'll find it. I think that that God is good in that way. He's not going to deny such a valuable and good gift to you. But you have to remember that you have to truly seek it. If you don't seek, you won't find. If you don't knock, the door will not be opened. If you don't ask, you won't receive. So my final piece of advice kind of takes us back to the beginning. If you want to be mentored, if you want to be discipled, seek it out. Ask. Do everything you can to put yourself in the position of relationship with other people who can disciple you.
0: God does not want to remain a mystery to us, but he wants you to find him. He delights in that. So I agree with you, Jamin. I think those are some wonderful last words to just really encourage our audience out there to really go after discipleship and and that it will transform your life. Would you agree that this has been transformational for you and that you've grown through discipleship?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And I know for me personally, I have too. I mean, not only have I mentored, but I've been the mentee as well, and continue to be the mentee. And it, it has it's challenged me. And even as I get older, maybe sometimes I slip in some of the things or thoughts that I have, or or maybe still question certain things. And having that accountability, and proximity, and voice that really can help me manage the scriptures too and solidify them in my life and my actions. It really is a game changer. So I, I think this is a wonderful topic. I know that we could probably even go deeper in it, but I think you shared some wonderful nuggets today. And I really want to encourage our audience out there to really go after this imperative part of life is to be discipled and not just be a believer, not just, to know God, but to go after God in so many ways and really dig, like we talked about earlier, like a dog on a bone. So thank you, Jamin, so much. Could you close us in a word of prayer?
1: Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, that you ultimately are our greatest discipler. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. Thank you, Lord, for the disciples themselves who spread your word around the world. And I thank you, Lord, for the church that has existed since then, the eternal church that has continued to disciple people from age to age. I pray, Lord, today that in our personal lives, as we seek you, that you would bring different people to us that can shine your love and your truth like a mirror into our lives. I pray that you would clean us, God, like a mirror so that we can reflect you more clearly and that you would teach us every day how to love you more and how to truly love the people around us. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. In your holy name, amen.
0: Thank you, Jamin, for joining us today on Truth Be Known. And thank you for your insight on how to be a mentor and a mentee when it comes to the heart of discipleship. Thank you friends for tuning in to Truth Be Known and go to truthbeknown.org or email us at truthbeknown.org at gmail.com to find out more about our future episodes and guests that will be joining us each week. You can always find us on your favorite streaming service and don't forget to let the truth be known.